Welcome to the Tarrys Community Church Podcast. Enjoy today's episode. But yeah, we're starting a new series today, and um, it's called Messy Middle, and it's going to take us through the next couple of weeks as we kind of look at what happens in that middle journey, what happens when we, you know, kind of, the beginning's nice, the end's usually nice, but what happens when the ups and downs of life happen in the way? So for you that don't know me, I'm Kate, you should probably know me, <laughs> um, but I'm married to Michael and we are expecting our first little bubba in, towards the end of the year, so that's exciting. I haven't just been getting a bit fat. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, um, my nine to five work is in the hospital here, I work in the intensive care unit as a nurse up there, so that's what um, <laughs> my fellow future nurse over there. Um, so yeah, that's what kind of consumes my, my daily life and it's super rewarding, it's super challenging, but um, I do love it and um, yeah, I love running our, our music team, our creative team here and um, I'm just so fortunate that they're all amazing, good people and we really don't have all the dramas that you hear about from creatives, <laughs> so it's a real privilege to lead them. So yeah, we're in this series called Messy Middle and um, Jono last week, he kind of helped us understand the journey we've been on from the beginning of the year. We're looking through the book of Luke, and so we've got to just towards the end of Luke chapter 9, which is where we're going to kind of start today. And those kind of those first nine chapters that um, are in Luke lead up to this point where Jesus has kind of hung around Galilee, he's kind of stretched out a little bit, but this part, we're kind of on the big journey towards Jerusalem, towards his ascension to heaven. So if you've got your Bibles today, grab those out. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen and there's a couple of little handouts in the middle there as well. If you're at a table that doesn't have one, maybe go steal one if you really, really want one. Um, And there's some room for notes there as well, just because I know some people like notes. But we're going to read this together today. So it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messages on ahead who went into Samaria to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and he rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went on to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but those verses are really challenging. (laughs) And um, yeah, as I kind of prepared for this message this week, I was really, I guess, challenged and um, kind of set some things in my heart to kind of have to wrestle with this week. So... Looking at this verse, I just want to give a bit of context to this idea of a journey that Luke very cleverly points out. And the first one is that it's this religious and cultural context, that travel is not actually something people did. If we look at that first chunk of the verse, 
Travel's not something people actually did in that time. It would have been expensive. You would have taken your whole tribe with you. You probably had to have some donkeys or horses or cattle, I don't know, whatever, something to travel on. <laughs> and it was probably a long way. So it would have been expensive to do it. And most people, the middle class, the lower class, that wouldn't have been a luxury that was afforded to them. And even if you were rich and you could do it, it was probably fraught with danger. You didn't know if you were going into enemy territory. You didn't know if you were going to come across the robbers along the road. So it's not something people did. But for the Jewish community, this idea of a journey was actually quite common for them. And they often did this pilgrimage from wherever they were to the Holy Land of Jerusalem. You know, time and time again, we actually see the Jews do this journey. We see Moses as he led the Jews out of Egypt, the great exodus. We see Mary and Joseph take that journey towards Bethlehem, which was just near Jerusalem. So Jesus goes on this great Jewish pilgrimage. And then I also think that Luke sets it out really beautifully as this metaphorical meaning for us, this, this idea of a journey that um, we as Christians go on and that our faith isn't actually a destination. Yes, our destination is eternity, but it's not like we just decide, I'm going to be a Christian now and God goes, perfect, let's go to heaven. <laughs> you know, we've actually got this lifetime, we have time that Jesus actually asks us to do on this earth. And that journey's not always easy, but it's way more rewarding. And that time that Jesus allows us on earth, this real human experience, is actually part of the, the beauty of, of doing this journey. And it's in that that we actually get to experience his glory and his love and his mercy. We wouldn't get those experiences if it was just a one-stop destination. So we're going to look at the first part of these verses, so verse 51 to 56. And we see that the messages go ahead into Samaria. Now, just to give you a bit of context on Samaria, the Samaritan people and the Jewish were actually enemies. And this was a, uh, a long-standing um, feud that had been happening since the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. So it was a historic feud. And um, we see that time and time again, Jesus actually uses the Samaritan people, the enemies of the Jew, Jews, to, um, to share that he is actually for everyone. Because he didn't, what the Jewish people didn't understand at the time, they were waiting for their Messiah, for him to come back for them. But they thought that was just for them. They didn't understand the full context that Jesus was for everybody. And so Jesus, time and time again, he uses the Samaritan people as a focal point and as a, as a way of focusing the Jews and their Jewish culture to actually try and see outside themselves. We see it with the woman at the well. She was actually a Samaritan woman. We see the Good Samaritan story again. So this journey through Samaria was actually not normal for this Jewish pilgrimage. They'd actually go around. There's a little map. We'll just pop up. And um, as you can see, Jesus' journey starts up in Galilee, in Capernaum, and he's in through Nazareth, and they get to this area of Samaria. So Samaria actually separates Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem down the bottom there. 
So most of their pilgrimages actually crossed the Jordan and they went round because they didn't want to go through Samaria. <laughs> but Jesus kind of gives it a crack anyway, because it's Jesus. So they're going into a known enemy camp. And I kind of think Jesus would have been like, you know the nursery rhyme, like we're going on a bear hunt. I kind of feel like that's a little bit what Jesus was thinking. Like we can't go over it, we can't go under it, we'll have to go through it. And you can see they actually do end up diverting round. But I love that he kind of steps into that territory, that enemy territory, to prove a point to the people. So the messages go ahead and unsurprisingly, they are not very welcomed in that town. And they come back and James and John, the disciples, they get outraged by this. And they say, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Pretty outrageous statement. A couple of chapters back, they've actually just experienced the transfiguration of Jesus. So they're probably really like hyped up in the spirit at this point and go, yeah, I can do that. I'll call down some fire. But Jesus turns to them and he actually rebukes them. He tells them off for wanting to destroy the enemy. Because if this is the Jesus that I know, the one that came to seek and save the lost, would he want to destroy them? I don't think he would have. And even these disciples who'd spent so much time in the presence of Jesus, they'd spent the first nine chapters, he'd called them into this, he'd spent all this time they still didn't get it. They still didn't get his big picture for the kingdom of heaven. And how often are we like that as well? You know, we don't necessarily talk about our enemies like people we hate and it's not that old school feud anymore, but there's people that rub up against us that we don't like so much. There's groups of people that we might have prejudice towards. So my question is, what will it actually take within our own heart to do this work, this deep work of setting aside our prejudice so that we can do reconciliation with our enemy? You know, working in the intensive care unit, there's, uh, I come across many people, <laughs> many people from many walks of life. And one of my hardest challenges and something that I've wrestled with over the years is how do you see all these things, experience all these things, and want to protect your heart and protect your soul from the things that you see and experience every day? So how do you protect it, but also how do you keep it soft and keep it open? Because I work with a lot of people who are really, really hard to the world, who just see the harsh and the horrible of the world, and they're just closed off to it. I'm sure there's many of you out there who are in similar jobs or you've walked similar or paths in life where the world has just become a bit hard for you and you kind of go, ah, I don't want to do it. It's too hard. I don't want to open my heart up and let people in because I'm going to get hurt again. And so one of my hardest challenges has been how do I keep my heart soft towards people? How do I love people when I don't agree with the choices they've made? How do I love the small little two-year-old child who's really, really sick? They're the easy ones to love. Versus the alcoholic who's ruined their life and are now on life support. 
We then come to the second part of these verses, and these bits are challenging. <laughs> because Jesus asks us to weigh up the cost. So Jesus has just set off on this journey, this pilgrimage towards Jerusalem where he will die and be resurrected again. And there's all this kind of chatter starting to happen. You know, he's done a few miracles and people are kind of aware and wondering, like, who is this Jesus? And people actually start wanting to follow him. And you would expect him to be like, yep, come on, follow me, come along. Let's all go. But he actually puts some warnings out there for us. And he actually challenges these people to think about the comforts of life. And, and he kind of asks them, do you, do you really want, want this journey? Do you really want the kingdom of God? Because it's actually going to take a bit of sacrifice. And I think that's one of the hardest things in our very comfortable, very middle-class culture that we live in. Because in many ways, we don't need Jesus. Our life's kind of sorted. And we get all the comforts of this world. Why do we need Jesus? He challenges these people on the very importance of the things that this world can offer. He confronts security and the need for a home. He confronts this idea of inheritance and our desire to do what's right for our family. And he confronts um, belonging and our need for family. Now, Jesus often spoke in parables and he often spoke in these kind of very outrageous, outlandish ideas. And so I don't think that Jesus is necessarily saying to us, I don't want you to have those things, because some of those are actually human rights. You know, we fight for people to have homes. We fight for people to have belonging. But what I think he's saying to us is, if you want my kingdom, and if you want to be part of that, then we have to start challenging some of those comforts. And I think he does this kind of at the start of his journey because um, I guess if you look at your journey of faith, often in the old school way of coming to faith, which you may have had that experience of, of the altar call, is that we kind of paint this beautiful picture of what Christianity is. Come to Jesus and you'll be saved and all your problems will be gone and la-di-da-di-da. <laughs> but I think Jesus, at the start of this journey of people going... I want to follow you, Jesus. He kind of goes, but wait, do you really want to follow me? Because I think he wants us to get our priorities right. And it's not that we're not going to struggle with these things throughout our entire faith journey. But he wants us to get that thinking right and that priority right of, of the kingdom of God and, and his heaven. Because those very comforts are the things that will actually separate us from doing the things that he asks. How many times has God asked you to do something and it feels a bit uncomfortable? I feel that all the time. <laughs> What's he asking me to give up? What do I have to reconcile and wrestle within my heart for the good of the kingdom? Maybe for you that's 
sharing your faith. Maybe it's having that awkward conversation and who knows what the outcome will be. Maybe it's giving up time to run a small group. Maybe it's giving up my finances. So what are your challenges? What are the things that maybe distract you currently and get in the way of becoming a follower of Jesus? Jesus asks us to put actions before our words. It's pretty easy to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But do your actions actually reflect that? You know, this season of becoming a parent has been beautiful and I've loved every moment of it and I'm really, really excited for the future. But like any journey, it's actually made me question some things. It's actually made us reprioritize a few things. And some of the conversations that Michael and I are having are probably some of the trickiest and most challenging and emotional that we've ever had. Because this journey of our nice little single life is pretty easy. It's really comfortable. But bringing a child into that, we have to make some sacrifices. It's going to take money, it's going to take time, it's going to take a change. And so we're having to reprioritize what we're doing. And every second of that discomfort, I know is going to be worth it. And we're all in, clearly. <laughs> Can't go back now. <laughs> and I think that's part of the journey with Jesus. We can be all in. And we're still challenged with those things every day. And I think what I love most about these verses is just the last bit of it, verse 62, if we can just have that up. And says, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And you might look at that and go like, oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but the thing about Jesus and the parables that he taught is that the people of the day would have understood what that means. So when we actually plough the land, look, I'm not a farmer. <laughs> I'm good at like keeping my couple of square metres of veggie garden, that's about it. Um, but when you plough a field, you have to have nice straight lines because you want all your veggies to line up. And if you've got a plough with an animal in front, if you're pushing it and you start looking back behind you, what's going to happen? They're going to go off course. If you're driving a car and you start looking out the back window all the time, what happens? You go off course. And our, so our direction will change if we keep looking back at the things that are comfortable, that the things that are nice, the things about our old life that we like. And so Jesus is encouraging us here that if we want to be part of the kingdom, then we have to be forward focused. We have to be focused on Jesus. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, and it says, If I find in myself desires nothing in this world can satisfy... The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I just love that because within us, there's always this kind of rub and this wrestle of, yes, I want the kingdom of God and, and all that comes with it, but also I want the nice, comfortable life that serves me well here. And I think deep within our soul is a desire for heaven because we are not human, purely human beings. There is part of us, a soul, that is a heavenly being. 
And so we kind of sit between two worlds. I don't know if you've noticed, but often the sins that occur in our life are reoccurring ones. We often look back at our old life and we kind of fall into the old habits of sin that were there. Maybe for you that's a lying problem, a gossip issue. Maybe you're proud, maybe you're arrogant, maybe you've got a gluttony issue. We see these same patterns of sin. And it's because when we keep looking back, they're easy to fall into. It's our default. And what I love is that even the disciples actually fell into this trap. It talks about in um, the Gospel of John that after Jesus had died, the disciples returned to Galilee. They'd done their journey home. And they actually went back to fishing. And so I I just kind of think that's incredible that after this incredible journey that they've been through with Jesus, of of him calling them out to be fishers of men, they kind of go home and just go back to to their old life. But I love this. Jesus is risen and he returns to Galilee as well. And he finds them in the boats fishing. And again, he performs a similar, similar miracle of them catching this massive load of fish and again with all the love and all the tenderness he calls them out again in the very sin in the very place that he found them in he calls them out yet again and he asks them yet again to fish to become fishers of men he instructs them to feed my lambs to love his people And he gives them the Great Commission. And I think that's so true for each and every one of us that even as we go back and we keep looking back on our old life, Jesus is there with open arms and ready just to love us and to ask us again to go fishing. He picks us up and refocuses us. And I think that's the kindness and the mercy of God that he will always come with tenderness and love. He knows we're only human. He understands that. He knows that we stuff up. But he also challenges us to repent, to refocus, to reprioritize, to turn away from the very things that keep binding us to this world. And it's a process. It's going to happen time and time again. But are we willing to do the work, the deep, deep soul work that this takes? I'm just going to take a moment here and um, just kind of refocus and reprioritize. And um, this beautiful song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, is an old hymn. And just as we kind of listen to it, I just want you to just reflect on those things. What are the comforts of this world that keep you here instead of entering into the kingdom each day? Is it about loving your enemy and loving the people that aren't like you? Is it about dealing with our middle classness that we kind of challenge some of those comforts and step out? So we're just going to take a couple of minutes and just as we let these words wash over us that 
yeah, you would just reflect and realign and refocus. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for your beautiful example of Jesus walking that fully human experience. Thank you that we have someone who understands the things that challenge us. That he understands what it is to crave comfort. That he understands what it is to, to be challenged by our enemy and how to love. But I'm also thankful that God, you're not someone who just wants to leave us in the challenges of this world, but you desire reconciliation. You desire wholeness for each and every one of us. And so as we just go into our week this week, Lord, that our focus would just be on you, that our eyes would be turned towards you. That we wouldn't be looking back at the things that this world can offer us, but that they would grow strangely dim as we just spend time in your presence, that we spend time looking towards your face, Lord. I just thank you for this beautiful church and for their deep desire to do the soul work, for their desire to become disciples of you, Father God, we just give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honour in this place. And we just thank you for what you've already done and what you will do for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's me done. If you want to just... Um, I haven't got questions for you, but you're welcome to just have some discussions around your table about what this looks like for you. Or maybe it's just a time for you to reflect as well. But we just pray that you have a beautiful week ahead and um, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed the message and that's had great impact on you. If you want prayer, would like to connect with us further, or you just have questions, we would love to chat. You can find us at www.tarescommunitychurch.com.au or you can find us on Facebook. Have a great week.